If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. If I haven't met you, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. I have the great honor of preaching God's word to you today. But before we jump in, though, um, just a couple words. Uh, first of all, I'm just encouraged to be here with you today. I just want to say that it's good to be here, to worship together, to see people that love the Lord gathered together to worship Him. Um, second thing, we, we've just had a, a great little season in the life of our church. We, we had this, these series of events that we called Sweet Table Talk at Sweetwater, uh, where just many great conversations with people that aren't believers began. Um, and I just want to encourage you who invited friends who came to that. Uh, it was just a beautiful little time in the life of our church. And so we're gonna keep doing it. We're, we actually are planning some in the future. And um, I just wanna commend you for those of you who took the, had the courage to invite a friend to be a part of those conversations. Uh, and then similarly, last week, uh, Easter Sunday was such a special week and Good Friday service and Easter Sunday. It was just such a special little time in the life of our church. Um, it was, you know, the largest service we've ever had. And, and at least some of that is because you guys invited people that you thought this person needs to come and worship the Lord. This person needs to come and hear from God's word. Um, and so I commend you in that. Um, uh, I, I just, I'm so grateful that you have a burden to see the kingdom of our Lord Jesus to go forward. <coughs> with, with that in mind, <coughs> let's turn now to John 7. <coughs> and Tally Coughlin is coming to read. She wasn't our reader in the first service, so I was like, I guess I'm just gonna read the passage. But um, come on, Tally. John 7. Good morning. John 7, 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said, now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if you were here last week, you might be thinking, wait a second. I think this is the text that Jason preached the last week uh, for Easter. 
Um, and now he's doing it again. Uh, is this a mistake? And, and the answer is, it, it is the text that I preached last week. But as they say, there was, there was just a little more meat on this bone that we need to look at. Um, there's a lot of meat on this bone, actually. If you were with us last week, we looked at what I'll call or what is called the doctrine of justification. How people who are sinful like us can be justified, can be given a right standing before God. If you were with us last week, we looked at this word DK, which means a right showing, a showing that is worthy of God. And we said that we can be given a justification, we can have a showing that is worthy of God through faith in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. In the life of Jesus, he has achieved a perfect righteousness. He always did what was right and true and good and in line with the will of the Father. In his death, he took on our record of sin, completely canceling our sin. And so through faith in him, our record is given to him, a record that he died for on the cross, and his record of righteousness has been given to us. And in the power of the resurrection, now Jesus promises life, and an eternal life, an ongoing life to all who believe in him. We looked at this doctrine that we can be justified, forgiven, that we can come into a right relationship with God, that we can have a right standing before God through the profound love of the Father and the Son and the Spirit as displayed in the gospel. So Jesus can say, as he says in the beginning of the passage, if anyone is thirsty, if you're thirsty for life, let him drink. But I just wanna say that <clears throat> the gospel doesn't end with justification. Justification, to be given a right standing before God, is the gateway by which we enter into, and what I'm about to say, we say very often at church, it's something that you've heard a lot in church, it can become a very callous statement to say, but it is one of the, it's the most amazing thing that I could say to you. We enter into a relationship with God. Because of the gospel, you can know and relate to and have a profound relationship with God. And what Jesus is saying here is if that's happened to you, if you've been justified, if you know God, if you've been restored into your relationship with God, then there is a river of life in you that wells up. There is a river of joy and of peace and of courage and of satisfaction. And this is river that doesn't run dry. It's a river that actually carries us in a relationship with God throughout eternity. And the way that we experience that the, the way that we know that river, that we know that intimacy with God, we experience relationship with God, as we read in the text here, is through the Spirit, through the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. <clears throat> now, there's a lot to this. And I wanna spend just a little time talking about three things with you today uh, that we see in this passage First of all, how do we receive this Holy Spirit? Secondly, what does the Holy Spirit do? And finally, what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit like? And there's a case study actually that we see in the text that I wanna look at with you. So first, how do we receive the Holy Spirit? 
How do we come into this kind of fellowship with God? What does that really mean? Well, look at verse 38. It says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So, if all this is kind of new to you, Christians have always believed that God exists in three persons. And God has revealed how those persons are be, to be described, right? We didn't come up with this. God said, this is how I want you to, to know me. And so God has given himself names. And the first person of the Trinity, the first person of God is, we know as God has revealed himself as God the Father. And that's instructive, right? We talked last week about a, the profound love of a father toward his child. Um, God the Father implies that uh, even though all the members of the Trinity are equal, God the Father is the head of the Trinity, right? He has a will that the other members of the Trinity obey or submit to. The second person of the Trinity is God the Son. This is who we call Jesus, right? God the Son, the second person who came to be like us, who took on human flesh, the incarnate one, who became Jesus, the Lord, who came to live among us, who always lived in communion with his Father. But it's God become flesh. It's God become like us. And Jesus didn't just become like us. He lived for us. As I said, he achieved a righteousness for us. He took on our sin. He died in our place. And he's given us through faith this perfect record of his righteousness. And, and all of this is amazing, right? I mean, just to believe that, that, that we could somehow know God, that God's spoken to us, he's revealed himself to us, that God came to earth to be like us. So we read in John 1 that the word became flesh and we have seen his glory. We've seen the glory of God in the person of Jesus. But Jesus has been glorified, right? The Jesus does, no longer lives on earth uh, and, and dwells around among us. Now, he didn't die. What the scripture tells us is that he was glorified. He died. He was resurrected. And, and one of the most amazing things about Christianity is that after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to many people, right? This isn't just some myth of, oh, there was a resurrection or it was just a spiritual resurrection. The Bible is very clear. Some people will say, oh, well, the resurrection is just a, it's something to mean that there was like a spiritual resurrection. You can have life in the Lord. The Bible is very clear to say that the bodily Jesus who really died, really rose and really appeared to people. That's one of the most powerful things that Christians believe, that God is intersected with real human history. In fact, many of the New Testament writers liken it as Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. This is a very powerful text. And he says, look, I've delivered to you of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. And then he says this, and that he appeared to Cephas, who's Peter, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, what Paul is saying here is Jesus, after the resurrection, in real time, in real space, in real human history, 
appeared to many people. At one point, he appeared to 500 people at once. Some of them have died, but most of them are still alive. If you don't believe me about the resurrection, go and ask these people. This is incredibly faith-giving to believe that this, this actually happened, that Jesus actually appeared to many. He was alive for about 40 days after his resurrection, appearing to many. And then what we believe is that Jesus ascended, what the Bible tells us, Jesus ascended, and, and this is what he's talking about here. He was glorified, right? He returned back to his Father's side. His work on earth, as it were, was done, and Jesus ascended. We read this in Luke 24. He's with his disciples. It says, he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them. He was carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Acts 1, we read something very similar. Acts 1, 9, it says, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. This is when Jesus says he'd not yet been glorified. This is what it's talking about. He's glorified. He's descending. He's going to be with the Father. His work has been achieved. He has achieved this record of righteousness that now he gives to those who have faith. And the result of that is now the Spirit of God, the third person of the Holy Trinity, cannot just be among the people, but the Spirit of God can literally indwell the people. He sends the Spirit of God for a personal relationship, for this personal intimacy. And that's exactly what happens. We read the next thing we read in Scripture the disciples went and waited for the Lord to send this power. In, in both of the, right before he ascended in both cases, he says, Wait, power's coming. I'm sending my helper to you. Wait until I send my helper. And sure enough, he does. And Christians celebrate this on the day of Pentecost when God sent the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit of God to dwell those who have been made righteous, who have got this right decay, this right standing before God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what he's saying here. If this has happened to you, if you've looked to Jesus and been given a right standing and entered fellowship with God and have the Holy Spirit of God living in your life, then there is a river in your life. You know God. There is a river of living water in your life. And I want you to feel this and know this. This is an amazing thing that we believe. John 16, 7 is really an amazing passage of Scripture. Jesus says, he's teaching his disciples kind of on the last night before he's crucified, and he says to them this. Hear this passage. He says, I tell you the truth. It's for your good. It's to your advantage. It's better for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, if I don't ascend, if I'm not glorified, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Family Feud, filmed right here in Atlanta, Georgia. Great game show. I'd like for the Dees family to go on Family Feud one day, maybe when the kids are a little older. Um, they survey people, right? You've seen Family Feud. And, you know, it's filmed right here. I keep waiting for the call, you know. Some guy to call me. Maybe I should stop uh, deleting those um, spam calls. Maybe one of them is Family Feud. And the guy will say, name something in your refrigerator, you know, or name an occupation that starts with a B or whatever it is. They, 
They survey 100 people. People give their answers. If somebody calls you as a Christian from Family Feud and says, would you rather have Jesus, the person of Jesus, with you, or would you rather have the Holy Spirit in you, indwelling you? I think most Christians would say, well, of course I'd rather have Jesus with me. That would be amazing. Of course I'd rather be with Jesus than have like the Holy Spirit, whatever that means, in me. And this is why you don't understand what is going on here. And Jesus himself says, look, I'm going away. Having the presence of God near you, among you, is powerful. And that's how God was manifest among his people throughout the Old Testament. God was among his people in the Old Testament. He was in the temple. God has come alive in the person of Christ. He's been among us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. But what Jesus is saying here is something even greater is about to happen. I've made you so clean. I've made you so righteous. I've so justified you that now the third person of God will come and indwell you. He was saying to them, and I want you to hear this, you are now the temple. God is going to indwell you. And this is an amazing thing to believe. As I mentioned, the spirit of God dwelled among the people in the Old Testament, in the ark. The spirit of God was among them. But the people were still sinful. The people still had sin on their hands. And so they couldn't interact with the spirit of God. I mean, it, the ark was sacred and holy. In fact, there's this story in 2 Samuel 6 where the Philistines had captured the ark and David beat the Philistines and he was beating, he was bringing the ark back into Jerusalem. And these guys were bringing the ark in and they had the ark on a cart. They hit a little mud pot and the ark started to slip off the cart. And one of the servants, this guy Uzzah, in order to keep the ark from falling in the mud, reached out his hands to stop the ark from falling. And he immediately died. I remember reading that and thinking, golly, the guy was just trying to be helpful. But the point of the story is this. God is holy. His holiness is precious and powerful. God is strong. And, and no frail, sinful human like us, like any of us, could come into the presence of God, could touch where the presence of God was with our own record and not die. The high priest, once a year, he wouldn't go in and touch the ark, but he would go into the Holy of Holy where the ark was. Only after a complete ceremonial washing, only after a very intense washing. And in fact, when he went in there on the day of atonement to make sacrifices for the people, they would tie a rope around his leg because he might die in there. <laughs> and if he died, nobody else could go in and get him. They had to pull him out with a rope around his ankle. Here's the point I'm trying to make here. If you're in Christ, if you've looked to Jesus in faith, if you've repented of your sins and you're trusting in Jesus and his righteousness, his record has been applied to you, God has made you so clean, so pure, so holy. Your sin has been so canceled that now the third person of God, the Holy Spirit himself, cannot just come near you and touch you, but can literally indwell you. And if you've experienced that, if you've experienced that, that you can know God and share intimacy with God 
That's why Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, let him look to me. And in me, there is so much forgiveness and so much righteousness and so much life that the spirit of God comes and dwells in me and out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You can know God. Which brings me to the second point. Okay, if this is how we receive the Holy Spirit, then what does the Holy Spirit do? What is this ministry of the Holy Spirit like? Now, I think that the Holy Spirit is the most misunderstood member of the Holy Trinity. And because of this, he is often abused. I just wanna say that. The Holy Spirit is, is often abused. People often wrongly, they dishonor God in dishonoring the third member of the Holy Spirit. People kind of make the Holy Spirit to be whoever or whatever they want him to be. And I just wanna say, this dishonors our Lord. And we're very careful about this. We're very careful about how we talk about the Lord. We wanna talk about the Lord rightly as God has revealed himself to us, not just something that we kind of made up in our minds. I, I hear some people say, well, this is more of a Jesus church, or this is more of a Bible church, or this is more of a spirit church. Let me just tell you, if it's a Jesus church, it's a Holy Spirit church. If it's a Holy Spirit church, it's a Jesus church. If it's a Holy Spirit church, it's a Bible church. If it's a Bible church, it's a Jesus church. These things are not separate, right? This is all one idea here. In fact, Jesus, when he's talking about the Holy Spirit, Listen to what he says about the Spirit of God. John 16, 14, he says, He, the Spirit of God, will glorify me. And he will take what is mine and declare it to you. How do you know if the Spirit of God is active in a church? The people there glorify Jesus and they talk about what he said. John 14, 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will spend in my name. He will teach you and bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said to you. If it's a spirit-filled church, it's a Jesus-filled church. If it's a spirit-filled church, it's a Bible-loving church. If it's a Bible-loving church and a Jesus-filled church, it is a Holy Spirit-honoring and exalting and loving church. These things are not separate. They are the same. And so how do we understand the ministry of the Spirit of God. What is he doing? What, what is evidence that the Holy Spirit is alive and active in your life? And I think, let's go back to John 16. It's a very, very helpful place to look. What does this river of living water from John 7 look like? Let me read 7 again, 16, 7 again. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 8, verse 8, it says, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, what does that mean? Well, John explains. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, you'll see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I want to talk about these three ideas here. The Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin. I believe that it is a ministry of the Holy Spirit of God to open your eyes and my eyes to our need for a savior. And what a kind ministry. Have you ever had that moment or an ongoing moment? Have you had that realization 
when you've really realized, okay, my sin's just not, oh, I messed up here or there, but I have sinned against God. Have you had that moment where you've realized, I am ruined. I can't do right. My, my heart is not like God's heart. That's actually the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. He's convicting you concerning your sin. And that is actually a gift because it's only in that moment that you can receive the amazing mercy that God has extended to you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And realize, yes, you, in your own strength, in your own record, by your own record, you cannot please God. But, but there is now a righteousness that's been revealed apart from the law that is yours in Christ Jesus as you look to him in faith. And that, and that conviction of sin, it's not just a one-time thing, it's an ongoing thing. How do you know the Spirit of God is active in your life? You're given to repentance. You're given to dependence on Jesus. And I would say this, you are given to sanctification. You're given to overcoming sin. You know, we, uh, some staff guys and I, we went to uh, Together for the Gospel, which is a, a conference uh, this week, and John Piper preached. And he was preaching from 1 Peter, but, but he was talking about the worth of the blood of Jesus. If, if it's, it's the most worthy substance <laughs> that ever was, there ever was, right? Gold, diamonds, whatever. The blood of Jesus, the blood of God that can be applied to a sinful life, to a sinful heart like ours. And evidence of that, if you've really known Jesus, if you've really known his forgiveness, if his cross has really been applied to your life, if his spirit is now indwelling your life, it's not just that you're experiencing the forgiving grace of God, but that you also are experiencing the conquering grace of God. Yes, we, we come to the Lord with our sin and God gives us forgiveness by the mercy and grace of God. But have you experienced the conquering grace of God that we don't just stay in our sin in this cycle of I need to be forgiven, but no, God leads us in righteousness. Again, not immediately, not perfectly. The Bible talks about progressive sanctification being moved from one degree of glory to the next. But I just wanna say, is this true of your life? That's evidence that the Spirit is at work in your life. Or are you just playing a game with God? I want you to hear this. Some, some of you, I've even heard this attitude of, look, I know this is a sin, but I'm just gonna do it because God's gonna forgive me. If that's your posture toward the things of the Lord, I would say that the precious blood of Christ has not been applied to you. You've never understood the blood of Christ. You've never really understood the mercy of God. That's what, that's what, a professor of mine in seminary called high-handed sin. We receive the blood of Christ. We receive the forgiveness of God in humility with mercy. We don't presume upon it and say, oh, God's just gonna forgive me. I'm worthy of his forgiveness. No, it's his gift to you. If that is your posture to just presume forgiveness of God, I know this is wrong, but whatever, I've got this golden ticket. You don't know the gospel. That's not the gospel. That's high-handed sin that we actually read about in 
in numbers. And just as a warning to you, and I say this in love, I say this in love, if that's where you are right now, considering disobeying God because I'm just gonna presume upon his forgiveness, hear this, it says the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he's a native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people because he despised the word of the Lord. He has broken his commandment. That person shall be utterly cut off and his iniquity shall be on him. The, the Holy Spirit, if he is really at work in your life, he convicts you concerning sin. We live with a repentant heart. Not just leading us back to the forgiving grace, which God supplies richly, but leading us to the conquering grace of the Lord. We overcome sin. We move toward holiness. And that brings me to the second ministry of the Holy Spirit. He convicts the world concerning sin. He convicts the world concerning righteousness. Because I go to the Father, Jesus says, and you will see me no longer. Now, what does this mean? Jesus says, I go to the Father, you'll see me no longer. This is an amazing ministry of the Holy Spirit. What Jesus is saying here is that when I was with you, Right, you, you could see righteousness. I was with you. You could, you could see my life. You could see my character. You could see the works that I am doing. But now I go to the Father. And so what the Holy Spirit does is he's always reminding us of the character and the work of Christ. If the Holy Spirit is active in your life, we are taking on progressively both the character, I would say it this way, both the inward life and the works and the outward life of Christ. And actually we see this pattern throughout the whole New Testament. When the gospel is applied to you, your character grows to be like that of the Lord and your deeds. We, we, sometimes we talk about this in the gifts of the Spirit. The things that you're doing for the Lord grows to be like Christ. In our daily rhythm, which is our little daily Bible reading podcast, we're reading through the book of Romans. And Romans 12, it begins with this powerful passage. You know Romans 12, the beginning, it says, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is worship. This is spiritual worship. And then it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Become like God, become like Jesus, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then there's two major sections. I wish I had time to jump in with you today, but I'm running out of time. But go read Romans 12 this afternoon. There's two major sections that follows that up. What does it mean to be conformed to the image of God? What does it mean to submit your life as spiritual worship? And the first section is all about using your gifts for the Lord. It's, it's, it's being active. It's putting your life to work for the kingdom of God. And then the second major section is all about the character of God. Is the character of Christ coming alive in you? Are you loving genuinely? Do you hate what is evil and cling to what is good? Do you show honor? Do you live in harmony with people? And then as I mentioned, the previous section, do you, are you using your gifts? Are you serving? Are you teaching? Are you giving? Are you showing acts of mercy? The Holy Spirit of God convicts us concerning sin. He convicts us concerning righteousness. He's creating the righteousness of Christ, both inwardly and outwardly in our lives. And then finally, the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Christians, what this means is this. Christians are future-minded people. You will find your life in a story, in a narrative. The power of narrative is very strong and there will be some kind of controlling story 
that grabs you, that controls you. And it will either be one of the stories of this age, of this world, things like the American dream or this or that, some story that says, this is success, this is right, or it'll be God's story. And if you really find yourself in God's story, then you'll find yourself thinking about, and I, I want you to encourage you with this, that if the spirit of God isn't working in your life, then you'll find yourself thinking about the day that Jesus conquers. The day that Jesus conquers. The, the day that the ruler of this world is judged and that Christ conquers. That's, that's the spirit work in your life. Christians are future-minded people. Do you ever think about the day that Jesus conquers? Oh, the day that Jesus conquers. The day that Jesus conquers. That, that, his, that his victory is fully known. How great will it be? Do you think about that day? That one day in the presence of Christ, when Jesus has conquered, you won't even have a desire to ever sin. <laughs> How awesome is that gonna be? I can't wait for that day. We don't even have to worry about my sin. You know, I put things in my life now and so I'm like, well, I gotta guard against this temptation and that temptation. What if I never had to do this? What if I knew that? What if I could totally trust my heart? that would always be in line with the Lord. What about the day when Jesus conquers that, that all things that are false and untrue will be exposed because Jesus conquers? What about the day that Jesus conquers when all justice will come, perfect justice will come? The Spirit does this in your life. He's pointing us to the future. He convicts the world concerning judgment. He reminds us that Jesus will conquer, that, that all things that are not of the Lord will be judged. There's, there's a lot where we could go here, but let me just close with this. This passage, there's a lot going on in the passage. Again, I could almost preach on this the third week. But after Jesus says this thing about him being glorified and him sending the spirit, there's all this, is he the prophet? Is he the Christ? And Earlier, the Pharisees had sent the, their guards to go and arrest Jesus. And the guards go out to arrest Jesus and they start listening to him. And they're amazed. They're mesmerized and they don't arrest him. They go back to the Pharisees and the Pharisees are like, where's Jesus? You were supposed to arrest him. And the guards say, we couldn't arrest him. I mean, nobody ever spoke like this man. This guy's incredible. And the Pharisees are about to lose their mind. They're like, what is wrong with all these people? Have anybody... No one believes in this man. They're trying to put Jesus down until one Pharisee speaks up. And he says, I think we have the verse up here. One Pharisee speaks up and he says, look at the bottom there, verse 51. Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing? Right? Remember the law, guys. Aren't we supposed to give? Like, let's listen to the guy. And that Pharisee, this is such a telling passage, that Pharisee was a guy named Nicodemus. Now, John, the gospel writer here, he wants you to remember Nicodemus. This is the second time that Nicodemus has shown up. The first time, you'll remember, was in John 3. Remember John 3, this famous passage, Nicodemus goes to Jesus by night, Jesus says, you must be born again. Nicodemus doesn't know what to do with this. It's where John 3, 16, famous Bible passage, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's that whole scene. But that time, Nicodemus, he's talking to Jesus. It's the cover of night. He doesn't really understand anything he's saying. He's confused. Jesus says, you must be born again. But now, Nicodemus, John wants you to remember Nicodemus. 
Now Nicodemus, he's been watching Jesus. What's up with this guy? He may have been listening to Jesus. And he's not saying, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a disciple, but he's at least speaking up. He's saying, guys, let's listen to the guy. He puts himself out there a little bit and the Pharisees are furious. But there's another time in the Gospel of John that Nicodemus shows up. And you know what it is? It's John 19. And it's Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea taking the crucified, bloody, criminalized, outcasted body of Jesus from the cross, cleaning it, preparing it for burial, and then burying him in a borrowed tomb. That's kind of an amazing thing, isn't it? Here's the guy that would only go to Jesus by night in the beginning. Then in the middle, he's willing to maybe say a little something, but you know, guys remember the law. But in the end, John 19, I mean, you really can't identify with Jesus much more than that than to literally take his bloody body. I mean, blood, you just imagine the scene. Here's this guy been hanging on the cross. Blood's all over, blood's all over Nicodemus. What would the Pharisees have said? This is Passover. Pharisees aren't allowed to touch a dead person. And yet he's taking the bloody body of Jesus and he's cleaning it. He's risking his life and he's putting him in a tomb. I think this proves for us a little bit of a case study. Now, this is before Jesus is glorified, right? This is just what I would say, Jesus among them, God among them, not God within them. But, but still there's a drawing effect. And the more that Nicodemus looks to Jesus, the more that he is around and thinking about and close to the presence of God, he's moved. And he identifies with Jesus more and more and more and more. Here's what I wanna to say to you today. Is this happening in your life? Are you really identifying with Jesus? Is this happening in your life? Are you identifying with him more and more and more? That's evidence that the spirit of God is in you. The spirit of God is bringing the life and the character of Jesus to mind. The spirit of God is moving in your life. Are you identifying with him more and more and more? Are you identifying with his word, his truth? Do you love his truth? Have you identified with his righteousness? Are you fighting sin? Are you wanting to grow in obedience? Are you identifying with him in his work? Are you doing the things that Jesus did? Are you identifying with his people? Do you love the people that Jesus loved? Are you identifying with his kingdom? Do you want to see his kingdom advance? Are you identifying with him in his glory? Do you long to see the glory of Christ? Do you want others to see the glory of Christ? And are you identifying with him in his gospel? Do you know that you can know him because of what he's done for you, what he's invited you into? And look, I don't know where you are today, right? Some of you, you might be like, man, I am, I am with Nicodemus. I want my whole life to identify with Jesus. I want every, I'm, I'm, I, want to, I want to minister to him. I want to speak about him. I'm in. Praise God for that. Keep looking to him. Keep identifying with him. Stay hungry for his word. Some of you are kind of in the middle. You're like, you know, hey, I like Jesus and all, but, or maybe you, there was one time you were a little stronger and your faith is cooled. Look to him. Identify with him. Identify with his people. Identify with his word. 
Identify with his ministry. And some of you are just curious. You're just here. You're like Nicodemus in the dark. What's this Jesus guy have to say? Look, I'm so glad you're here. Keep coming. Keep, keep looking to him. Let his spirit draw you in. He will. And as we close today, I want to give you an opportunity to identify with his gospel. And what Christians celebrate is the Lord's Supper. And what the Lord's Supper is for us is, is it's a reminder in two ways. It's a reminder back. We remember that we were dead in our sins, but that Christ has come on our behalf. He's lived a righteous life and he has taken on our record of sin and been broken on our behalf. We remember the cross. We identify with Jesus in repentance. But we also look forward in the Lord's Supper. It's a meal. It's a little feast. Now, it's a little feast. But it's to us a reminder that one day, Christ will conquer. And that we will be with him in his kingdom. And that we will be celebrating his victory in him. And it's a reminder to us to stay faithful until that day. And so I invite you, if you are a believer, a follower of Jesus, you're saying today, yes, I know that I have sinned. I know that my only hope is Jesus. I want to follow him in faith. If you're living by repentance and faith today, I invite you to the table to remind yourself of the hope that you have in the cross and resurrection of Jesus and to remind yourself of the future that hope that you have in his coming kingdom. But if you're not a believer here today, if you're here, curious, you're a visitor, I'm so glad you're here. Can keep looking to Jesus. But if you wouldn't say today, I am trusting in the Lord and I want that to be known. I wanna live for Jesus. If that's not your heart today, again, I'm so glad you're here. I will pray that the Lord continues to draw you to himself, but I would just ask you that you let the elements pass. The Bible actually gives a warning. Don't take this meal, if that's you. Don't, don't take this meal if you're, if you're in an unworthy manner, it says, in a way that's not aligned with the Lord. And so I'd ask you out of respect to God and respect to this church, just to let the elements pass. No one's gonna look at you strange. We're just glad you're here. But if you are looking to Christ today, let this meal be an encouragement to your faith. Let it strengthen your faith. Until the day that we don't need faith because we are with Jesus by sight. Let's think about these things as we respond in worship.